Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to Meditation from Sinai. This is our incredible, brand new six-week course exploring Jewish meditation. Now, we spoke last week about meditation and Jewish meditation, the history of Jewish meditation, or the background, the practice of Jewish meditation. We spoke about some practical um, manifestations of such, but tonight we take this to the next level. We are going to explore the most thrilling topic and present two pathways of meditation, brand new ideas, brand new teachings and practices. Buckle up, it's going to be amazing. But first, here's a story. The story goes that it was the occasion of the Zen master's 70th birthday. The Zen master. Who's the Zen master, you ask? Whoever your favorite Zen master is. Mine is uh, Phil Jackson, former coach of the Chicago Bulls. If you get that joke, that's good. If not, we're going to move on. (laughs) All right, thank you. So the Zen master is turning 70. And... In honor of his 70th birthday, his students give him a big box with a beautiful ribbon and a bow. And the Zen master carefully unties the bow, takes off the ribbon, lifts the lid, and inside is nothing. The Zen master smiles and says, ah, just what I wanted. Okay, so that's, that's, anecdote, that's joke number one. Let's go with number two. The Zen master, maybe the same, maybe a different, I'll let you use your imagination. The Zen master takes a trip to visit New York City. New York, New York. He goes to Manhattan, and as he's walking up and down the beautiful streets of Manhattan, he notices that he's hungry. And there he sees... What's it called when you have like those hot dog stands? Is there a name for it? Somebody on mute. What's the name for like a hot dog stand other than hot dog stand? Don't tell me hot dog stand. What is it? A cart. A cart and a stand. There's got to be a food cart. There's another name. Is there another name? There's no other name for it? Okay. All right. Food truck. Okay. Food cart. Hot dog vendor. Hot dog vendor. Okay. Fine. Fine. Okay. Bodega is the corner store, not, not the stand. Correct? Just getting clarity here. Clarity is important. Okay, fine. So, so this guy goes over to the hot dog cart, the hot dog stand, the hot dog vendor, and he says to the fellow the following, he said, the Zen master says, make me one with everything. And wait, wait, we're not done yet. So, so hold on, make me one with everything. So the vendor, the hot dog vendor, fixes him a hot dog, as we say in the South, because I'm so Southern, he gives him, makes him a hot dog with all the fixings. Good. The Zen master takes it. He hands the guy, hands the vendor a 20. The vendor pockets it. The Zen master says, where's my change? And the vendor says, change must come from within. Okay, that's the story, my friends. You know, I feel like we're, we're at a peak now. I don't want to take things down. But still, I'm not, we're not going to end this right here. Because we have a lot more to talk about, including the subject why we're here, which is meditation. So, by the way, I have another joke about the kvetching monk. The kvetching monk. But that, we're going to save that for next week, for another time. We can't do more than two jokes in a row. That's like going to break the matrix. So, last week, as I mentioned at the top a few minutes ago, last week 
we set the foundation for this series about Jewish meditation. We talked about the origins of Jewish meditation. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were shepherds. We spoke about daily Jewish meditational practices associated with tefillah, with prayer. And we spoke about a practical, very pragmatic form of, me of meditation that is designed to shoo away, I haven't said that in a while, shoo away negative emotions. Right? How do we shoo? I'm just not going to stop saying that. Now. How do we shoo away negative emotions? It's by replacing th th uh, the thought that is giving oxygen to the, the, the very negative emotions that we're trying to shoo away. And that goes back to the spiritual technology that drives meditation in the first place. What is meditation? Meditation is leveraging the mind to control the heart, essentially. I mean, that's at least one definition of meditation. It's about thinking about something until something in the heart stirs or an emotion is produced. The, the concept here is that nothing is felt without a thought somehow passing through the mind. The, the emotion is born of the minds, change the mind, change the emotion. And thus, last week we spoke about, essentially, what I would call a life hack for moving away from a negative space. We're feeling sad. We're feeling anxious. We're feeling worried. It's kind of the same. We're feeling um, uh, jealous. We're feeling upset about something. All normal. No judgment here. This is a super safe space. Not just a safe space, super safe space. But if you want to feel differently, last week we learned how to do that. You want to feel differently? Okay. Think about something else. I didn't mention this last week, but I want to mention it right now. And this is not a you thing. This is a me thing. In other words, I'm not saying if you, but I'm saying if I. If I start the day, theoretically, yeah, with a slice of cheesecake and, you know, the morning news, okay, the cheesecake may be a positive thing, whatever, depending on how you look at it. But if I start the day like that, what am I going to be seeing? This disaster, that disaster, the other disaster, every, yeah, all the tsaras. Because what's the news at the end of the day, right? If it bleeds... It leads. You guys know this, right? If it bleeds, it leads. The news is showing me all the things that are tragic in this world, right? The big, not just all the things, the biggest tragedies, the biggest problems. So inevitably, I'm going to feel a little anxious, right? Even if I'm not aware of why I'm feeling anxious. So the, the point is like this, and, and, and really, I, this is just uh, in the context of a, of a quick rewind. Um, last week, we explained if you're feeling something, it's coming from somewhere in the head. Think different thoughts. Intentionally move your thoughts somewhere else. And it can help you hack your emotions and move out the negative, bring in something positive that you choose. That was last week. This week, we continue our journey through Jewish meditation. And the focus today is not going to be on some sort of utilitarian use of meditation, i.e. meditation used to... Uh, to your advantage to help in, this, in the context that we said last week, to help you um, improve your emotional disposition. But rather, today we're going to be exploring the eye-opening nature of Jewish meditation. We'll see how Jewish meditation can help us think about and perceive things that otherwise might be perhaps a little bit invisible to the eye. Jewish meditation can transport us to a much deeper place than the superficial. We, it can help us see and experience things that otherwise would remain concealed to the naked eye. So this is what we're going to be doing. Not 
utilitarian Jewish meditation, but spiritual Jewish meditation for a spiritual objective. And along the way, we're going to learn about two very different meditative systems. This is going to be an absolutely breathtaking journey. I am so happy that you're here with me tonight. Let's begin. So I want to tell you a story. This is a real story. Story goes back many years to the city of Krakow. And in the city of Krakow, there lived a, a, a gentleman, a Jewish fellow whose name was Isaac. Rab Isaac of Krakow. And this Isaac was very poor. He was very poor. He, he was a man of faith. He trusted in Hashem. Hashem always kind of helped things out at the end. You know, things kind of worked out for him. But this man, Isaac, was very poor. Well, one night, one night, he has a dream. And in his dream, he sees the following. He sees himself in the big city. He's in Prague. And in Prague, he finds himself by the big bridge in Prague. And he sees under the bridge, the big bridge in Prague, he sees a treasure buried under the bridge. He wakes up and he remembers the dream and he says to himself, ah, just a dream. Baba Mises. Well, the next night, he has the same dream. And the night after that, he has the dream again. And at this point, after three times having the same dream, he begins taking it seriously. <clears throat> so he tells his wife, I need to travel to Prague. Why? I'll tell you later. He heads to Prague. He heads to Prague. And he finds the bridge in his dreams, or maybe the bridge of his dreams. And having packed a shovel, very handy of this, uh, of this Rabbi Isaac fellow, having packed a shovel, this fellow Isaac heads over to the area where he saw the treasure under the bridge. And he begins digging. Well, after a little while, some officers, you know, officers of Prague, Prague has... Uh, so Prague had some police officers back in the day as well. And the, these officers come over to him and say, excuse me, what do you think you're doing? And he says, quite honestly, I'm digging under the bridge. Why are you digging under the bridge? Asked the officer. And the, Isaac says, because I'm looking for a treasure. The guy says, why do you think there's a treasure under the bridge? It's very strange and random. He says, well, I had a dream. The guy starts rolling with laughter. <laughs> a dream? You can't... We're, you came here to dig under a bridge because you had a dream of a treasure under the bridge? You're out of your mind. I had a dream about some guy named Isaac who lives in Krakow and that under his house there's a treasure. Do you see me trying to track down this guy's house in Krakow? Come on, he tells the guy, tells Isaac. Isaac hears this and he suddenly realizes that he needs to head right back home. He goes back home and digs under his own house, and guess what? He finds the treasure. Now, many have told this story. Many have heard this story. Many believe that it's, that it's not a true story. I happen to know. I happen to know. I don't happen to know Isaac. He lived many years ago. I happen to know that there is a synagogue till this very day in Krakow that is called Reb Isaac's Shul, Reb Isaac Synagogue, and it has this as the origin story for how this poor man could afford to dedicate 
a synagogue. This is the story. This is a classic construct of a story. It's a true story, but it's also a classic construct of somebody who's traveling far and wide to discover something only to find out that where was the treasure the whole time? Under his own backyard, under his nose. Classic story, which highlights a major truth in life. So often in life, we seek to discover the things that we wish for, the things that we strive for. We seek to discover them somewhere else. But so often, we don't need to go anywhere else. We just need to look inside, in our own backyards. I see some of you reaching for a shovel. You're like, well, who, who, who knows? Maybe, uh, maybe I got something here also. That's the story of the Wizard of Oz. Uh, could, it's, been, it's been a few years. Okay, it's been a few years. So here's the point. The point is that sometimes we seek to travel far and wide when the truth of the treasure is right, is right, is right at home. And the same thing is true. Let's, let's connect it with tonight's theme. Tonight's theme is spirituality. Tonight's theme is spirituality. How many people have traveled far and wide to somehow discover spirituality? Yeah, if I only go to this mountain, to this guru, to this place, to this uh, seminar, to this workshop, whatever it is, then I'll find, I'll discover spirituality. And Judaism has an unbelievable perspective. Judaism teaches that spirituality is not somewhere else. Spirituality is right inside of us. The light, the, the energy, the spirit of spirituality is right inside of us. We don't need to go to Prague or the Himalayas. All we need to do is dig right where we are because the greatest spiritual, spiritual treasure is inside of us. What am I referring to? Of course, I'm referring to the neshama, the soul. Every single one of us has a neshama, a soul, a divine spirit inside of us. You don't need to find spirituality anywhere else. You have the greatest force of spirituality that the world knows. You have it inside of you. I have it inside of me. Let's explore. We have a lot of text to cover tonight. There's a lot of information that is just powerful. So let's begin right away with text number one. This is going to be a, uh, the verses, the verse from Torah where the soul, the neshama, is first introduced to us. I'm going to share my screen. L listen, I, I know by raise of hand from before that, that most, if not all of you, have your books already. Um, so you can certainly just open up your books and follow along. If it's helpful, I, I mean, I'm going to share my screen anyway. And if it's helpful, you can certainly look at this. It's on page number 40. It's on page number 40. Okay, here we go. I am going to read this. Um, I'm going to read this just for the sake of uh, just a little bit of, of, of time here tonight. Text number one, second chapter of Genesis. God formed the human from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into, humans, into the human's nostrils the soul of life. Nishmat Chaim, the first time that we find the word neshama, soul, reference in the Bible and the Torah is right here. God breathed within the nostrils of humankind of the human being, nishmat chayim, the soul of life. So first thing we know about the soul, if we're trying to, to kind of um, uh, understand the soul through the lens of Jewish spiritual teachings or Judaism, Jewish thought, first thing we know about a soul 
is that it is a life spirit. It's a soul of life. It gives life. So the first thing we know about the soul is that it's kind of like a battery pack that's giving the body life. And it's synonymous with life itself. But as we continue our exploration, it turns out that the soul is way much more than just life. The soul is much more than just a battery pack. Let's continue with text number two. Okay, here we go. Text number two. This comes from the liturgy, the morning blessings from the Siddur. We say, My God, the soul you, that you have placed within me is pure. Again, let's pay attention to the description of the soul. The soul that you have placed within me is pure. You created it, you formed it, you breathed it into me. So there's a few things happening in this reading. Number one, we read before that with Adam, with the human being, the first human being, God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Now you and I think for us, well, once the first guy got started, then everything else follows. Did God breathe within us the breath of life? Well, we kind of say that in the morning prayers. Yes, you, God, breathed it into me. In other words, this idea of divine breath and the soul being from the breath of God into, into our being, that is still recurring and really recurring on a, on a daily basis. That's a side point. What's the description of the soul here? The soul is pure. The soul is a piece, is a creation of God. The soul is something formed by God and it's something that God, as I mentioned, breathes within us. What that means is that even as the soul comes into us, it remains, as we speak with God, it remains yours, it remains God's, right? The soul that you have placed within me is for you created it, you formed it, you breathed it into me, even as it's mine, it's still yours, it's still divine. So it's not like it was once upon a time a divine spiritual entity and now it's just, it's just mine, it's my soul, so it's just like human. No, it's still divine even as it's within me. Now let's continue and go even deeper based on the mystical, the Kabbalistic tradition of spirituality. Let's take a look at text number three. Now this is not yet Kabbalah. This is from Proverbs. This is scripture. This is from King Solomon, the book of Mishli. And he writes the following. The human soul is the candle of God. I'm going to read that again. The human soul is the candle of God. You know what that means? Our soul is God's candle. What's interesting is that we have here imagery of a fire, of a flame. So I'm going to stop sharing for a moment and please jump in. Can you tell me, and we've discussed this in other classes, so you may have been with me in a few Kabbalah classes prior, in previous uh, opportunities, occasions, maybe a Kabbalah coffee class or two where we talked about this correlation between souls and fire. But if you can jump in, if you recall it, or if you have a, your own idea about this, tell me what, what, ev what is evoked by you when you hear this idea that the soul is a fire, is a flame. What is the connection between souls and flames? Jump in. It always goes up. Good, it's good. The soul is always just like fire. The, the flame always goes up. You turn a candle sideways, it, it points up. The soul also is always pointing up. Good, what else? What else? The flame can be extinguished. Flames could be extinguished, okay? Okay. Yeah, they burn out. Right? Could be burn out. Okay, good. What else? What else? What else with fire? Fires and souls. Light to dark places. Oh, good. It, it illuminates dark places. If I may add onto, onto your theme, it also warms up cold places, right? Light and warmth. Good. Okay. Excellent. What else? Let's take one more insight. 
it could a soul could light a candle could light other candles. Good. Oh, inspiring others to then inspire others, right? Like a good, excellent, perpetuate thing. I, I'm going to add to that also, if I may, that when it gives, it doesn't lose anything, right? A fire is not like water. You pour water, you're out of water, right? I mean, I did that. I did that. I had I had this uh, Lacroix. The seltzer, I poured it, and now it's, it's empty. This is empty, right? Done. So if it was a fire, I would have two fires, right? Fire is um, fire expands. Fire is uh, is 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 a multiplier, whereas liquid is a divider. When you divide it, yeah, fire is now you have two, two, right? <laughs> you take one, you light another one. Now you got two fires. Anyway, okay, good. I'm gonna add one more point, which is which. All of these are really great points. I want to add one more point, one more idea. The fire, the fire is something that does not want to exist. Fire does not want to be here. You ever, you ever think about that? How do you create fire? You literally have to force it into being. Yeah? You have to, like, strike it into being. You have to force it. You have to, like, like... For, I don't know. I don't know what other way to say it. Force it into being. You have to strike. You have to create a, create a, create a brute force to kind of pop it into into existence. It didn't exist until you like, you like pushed it into being. Number one, what happens when it exists? Yeah. So now it's attached to something. What does it do to the thing that it's, that it's attached to? You know what it does. Yeah. It consumes it. It consumes it until it's gone, and then it's gone. Right. Fire. Literally, fire is so anxious that anything that it touches, it destroys. And then what happens? It destroys itself. You ever notice? What's the end game of fire? The end game of fire is absolute self-undoing. Absolute destruction of self. Now, we typically think of fire as destroying other things. But honestly, fire gets a bad rap. It's not, it doesn't care about the other thing. It just doesn't want to be here. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to destroy anything that's trying to hold it back. Are you with me on this? You attach fire to something, and fire's like, you know, I, I was fine. I, and then you, you push me into being. Thank you very much. I don't want to be here. So now I have to, Nebuch, I have to, like, destroy this. Oh, you got more oil? Are you kidding me? What is this, all this oil? All right, all right, so I got some time. All right, let's get rid of the oil. When the oil's gone, the wick's gone. I'm out. That's where I want. I wanted to be out the whole time. Fire doesn't want to be. Understand how radical this is. Everything else in existence <laughs> wants to be. Not only wants to be, it wants to show you how much it is. Like, oh, you think, you think I'm going to take this line down? Are you kidding me? You said that to me. You're in my space. You're threatening me. Everyone gets territorial. Okay, present company excluded. We're all angels. But let's talk about, uh, you know, elsewhere, right? Elsewhere. Elsewhere in the world. Meanwhile, back on the ranch, everyone's territorial. That's the way it is. Everyone, right? You put your flag in the ground. This is mine. Don't touch it. Yeah. There was a book. I, I love this book. A kid's book called Labels for Label. La labels for Label. What's Labels for Label? Two brothers. Label and Yossi. It's a Jewish book in case you were wondering about the names. Label and Yossi. Two, two kids, two brothers. And they begin to get into a fight about whose stuff is whose. 
So they decide, you know what, we're going to label everything. This is labels, and this is Yossi's. They've color-coded. They've The whole room, now they share a room. The whole room now is stickers. The, 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 the football is labels. The helmet is Yossi's. The, the, everything is labeled. Everything is labeled. It gets out of hand. It literally gets out of hand. The kids come downstairs, and suddenly <laughs> the kitchen table is labeled mommy's. And the food is labeled dad's. And suddenly it's like, where are we supposed to sit? I don't know. Find your own furniture. And the kids realize that staking out territory, although it seems very good, ultimately it's not sustainable. Are you with me on this? Is this making any sense? Yes, sort of. The nature of humankind, the nature of human beings, here's how it works, is that we are territorial. We want to exist. We stamp our feet. And we say, look at me. I exist. Don't you take away from my existence. Don't you encroach on my space. I don't like that. You get out of here. You're sucking up my oxygen. You're elbowing me on the subway. Get out of my space. I exist. Okay, maybe elbowing on the subway is not a good thing to happen. But anyway, so <laughs> especially nowadays. But here's the point. We are typically territorial. What about the soul? The soul is so anti-territorial, yet you have no idea. The soul doesn't even want to be here let alone share a space. The soul's like, oh, you want to be here? Great, because I really don't want to be here at all. That's what the soul, the soul is a fire. Fires don't want to be here. Everything, water, what does water say? Water says I'm comfortable. Water says I'm very comfortable. Water's not going anywhere. It's only going down. Water's not, no, water's not disappearing on its own. What, no, no water ever said, you know what? I'm just going to go my own way. I'm just, I'm out. Water doesn't go out, it just goes down. It further settles in. You poke a little hole. Water never said, I'm content. Water says, oh, there's lower. I can go lower. Let me go lower. That's always how water works. Yeah? Fire goes up. It doesn't want to be here. Fire's like, can I go already? Right? Can I go, please? I think you guys get the point. Here's the, here's the correlation. The, uh, King Solomon writes, Ner havai nishmat adam. The soul of man is the candle of God. Just as a candle, just as the flame of a candle always goes upward, always seeks to undo itself, so is the soul. Let's read this inside. Inside, this is going to be text number four, and you will find it right here on page 42. This is from the book of Tanya, chapter 19, the flickering of the soul. The nature of a flame, says the author of the founder of Chabad, the nature of a flame is to flicker upward, indicating that the flame intrinsically seeks, listen to this, to part from its wick in order to unite with its source above. Similarly, the human soul naturally desires and yearns to separate itself and escape its body in order to unite with its origin and source in God, the blessed source of all life. As a flame seeks to be undone or to undo itself, so does the soul. The flame goes up, the soul wants to, this flame wants to go up, the soul wants to go up, and that is its nature. Now let's focus on this for a moment. Here's what this means for you and I. What this means is that inside of you, you, forget about anybody else, you, inside of you there is a soul. A soul that's pure, that's divine, and like a fire. Your soul has an appreciation for the divine. Your soul has an appreciation for the transcendent. Your soul has an appreciation for the ethereal. Your soul is not attached to the physical stuff. Your soul senses the wonder and the majesty of that which is beyond the here and now. You have that inside. It's inside of you. 
Can you imagine that perspective of reality? A perspective of reality that's not limited to time and space, that's not limited to the corporeality of existence, that's not limited to, to, to the physical parameters of being? Can you imagine that at your core, you have a soul that is absolutely more comfortable with the spiritual than the material? That's unbelievable. And yet, and yet, here we are. <laughs> and yet, here we are. How is it? If we have this soul inside, how is it then that we're not 24-7 buzzing with this consciousness? Why don't we think about God all day? Why don't we think about transcendence and escaping and, and, and ethereality and spirituality? Why aren't we obsessed with that 24-7? Why aren't we living with that God for his consciousness? What's going on with us? The answer is simple. And the answer you know, and the answer we already read in text one. That was the text that talked about how the first human being was created. Because the soul is not the only game in town. It's not the only reality. We have a soul. We have a body. In the language of the mystics, Chabad Hasidic philosophy especially, we have a godly soul. We have an animal soul. Okay, I don't want to get, I don't want to get uh, souls confused there. All right, let's just do soul and body. You have a soul, but you also have a body. It's the way it is. So yeah, your soul is on fire. Your soul doesn't want to even be here. Your soul sees spirituality. It's like it sees the truth. It doesn't see the external. It sees the truth. The uh, problem is, you also got a body. And the body sees very much the here and now. The body is very territorial. The body says, I want, I need. You better not. You get away. Right? That's how the body speaks. The body speaks in very you know, ego-driven, um, uh, territorial uh, verbiage. It's very much about me. I, number one. And that creates the conflict. What's the conflict? Inside of us is this pure, divine soul that's on fire. But it's covered. It's encrusted. Can we say encrusted? Yeah, it's... Um, I like that word crust. Reminds me of challah baking. Anyway, it's like, it's, the, <laughs> it's, it's covered. Yeah, it's covered. More like barnacles. Maybe barnacles, yeah. So it's covered with a layer of materialism, a layer of physicality, a layer of body. And oftentimes, can't even see it. Sometimes, we're not even aware. Now, let me finish the sentence and then qualify. Sometimes we're not even aware that we have a soul. Now you're saying, well, what do you mean? I'm, who's not aware they have a soul? What I mean is, if somebody asked you, do you have a soul? You'd say yes. But before, not you, before one might be asked, they might not be thinking about it. Even though they know, theoretically, that, but you're thinking about it. I gotta go to work. I gotta, I gotta make this phone call. I gotta send this email. I gotta, you know, make this deal. Now, what about the soul? Who has time? <laughs> Who has time to think about the soul? I got all this other stuff. I got all this body stuff going on. So what's the point? The point is that we have a treasure inside. Yeah, you thought that Isaac found a treasure under his house. Forget that treasure. You have the greatest treasure in the world. You have a piece of God inside of you. You have a divine fire that's burning inside of you. That's amazing. That's amazing. Problem is, it's hard to see sometimes. 
Hard to, sometimes it's not easy to notice the soul. Its voice doesn't express itself. And that's because of the soul. Sorry. <laughs> not the, it's because of the body. The body that's covering over the soul. Let's call this the battle of consciousnesses. There's a body-centric consciousness. No, forget centric. There's a body consciousness and a soul consciousness. There's the awareness of the body. Me, I, I want, I need, I am. There's the consciousness of the soul. Purpose, God, spirituality, ethereality, non-corporeality. That's the language of the soul. And the problem is, we got both. We got a soul, we got a body, and there's this battle of consciousnesses. There's two consciousnesses. There's two perspectives, two realities, and battle of wits. Reminds me of the story where the fellow walks into the, uh, to the lobby of the big law firm, and he hears some, all the shouting behind the, the conference room door. He's in the lobby, but the conference room is right there. He is shouting, like really, like uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of energy. He says to the secretary, what's going on over there? She says, it's a high-stake battle of wits. He says, what do you mean? Rabinowitz, Horowitz, Berkowitz. Anyway, that's the joke. But getting back to the story over here, um, it's a battle of wits, a battle of consciousnesses between the divine consciousness of the soul and the physical consciousness of the body. So let's, uh, let's take stock of what we've done up until now. We described the truth, the truth of our reality, which is that we have a treasure. Spirituality is not something else where you don't have to go to Prague and dig under a bridge. You don't have to go to the Himalayas and climb a mountain. You don't have to go into a cave or speak to a guru. You have a soul inside that is absolutely everything that you need. Problem is, you also got a body. And the body kind of uh, dulls, if you will, the voice of the soul. So now what? So now what? This is where Jewish meditation comes in. Because there are two meditative paths for dealing with this predicament. There are two very distinct meditative paths for allowing the voice of the soul to be heard, i.e. accessing your inner treasure. So if someone, so if somebody, if someone were to ask, so I believe I have a soul, and the soul is a piece of God, and the soul is breathed into me from God, and the soul is divine light and divine life and divine energy and a divine fire, a fire that sees beyond what the eye can see, and a fire that perceives beyond what the, what the eye can perceive. So how do I get to know my soul? How do I get in touch? I don't feel my soul. I feel my body. I feel my needs, my physical needs, my physical wants. That's what I feel. That's what I'm in touch with. I don't feel my soul. How do I get in touch with my soul? How do I get in touch with my soul? Kabbalah, Jewish mystical tradition, has an answer. Meditation. Two different ways. We got the treasure in the house. We need access. Jewish meditation helps. The first form of, and we're going to go through both these in, in great detail tonight. The first 
pathway of meditation that can help us access the soul. And this is important. We spoke about it last week. I, I gave the name last week, but let's, let's do a deep dive right now. It's called Hit Bodidut. Hit Bodidut. That means seclusion, but the way I'm going to phrase it tonight, frame it tonight is spirituality by subtraction. I'm going to say that again. Spirituality by subtraction. Okay? And trust me, I'm not going to leave anyone hanging here. Everything is going to be explained to the best of my ability to explain anything. That's my goal tonight. So path, meditative path number one, hit bodidut. Spirituality by subtraction. Pathway number two is hit boninut. Not hit bodidut, hit boninut. Not the de, the ne. <laughs> That's kind of the difference. Hitbodidut is spirituality by subtraction. Hitboninut is spirituality by intention. So we have subtraction and intention. Trust me, I was trying to find mathematical terms that would work for both, but I couldn't. So hence the lack of symmetry. If it's bothering you, trust me, it hurts me worse than it hurts you. Trust me, I spent a lot of time on this. Yeah, so we have spirituality by subtraction and spirituality by intention. What does this mean? Here we go. Hitbodidut, pathway number one, seeks to strip away the body's outer layer, the crust, the barnacles of materialism, allowing us to tap into the soul within. Again, Hitbodidut, the first pathway, seeks to remove Take away the coverings of the body, so to speak, the distractions of the body, the outer layer of materialism to allow us to access the soul. The soul's inside, covered up by the body's stuff. Clear away the body, and you'll find the soul. That's pathway number one. Spirituality by subtraction. What's the subtraction? Take away the body stuff, and then what's underneath? The soul. Are you with me on what I'm saying? Think about the treasure. How do you get the treasure? Clear away the dirt, and you'll find the treasure. You with me? Good. All right. Pathway number two. Hitboninut. Seeks to have us focus on the soul so intently and so impassionately that the body can't get in the way even if it tried. So the attention is put less on clearing away the material distraction and it's more on focusing on the soul and connecting with the soul to just grab it. Forget about the earth. We're not clearing, we're not spending the time. Here's the question. Are we spending time on the earth or on the treasure? You with me on this? You, there's two pathways. One is if I, get, if I take away all the earth, I'll see the treasure. The other one says... Just get a massive magnet, assuming the treasure chest is made out of metal. There's a bit of an assumption here. Get a massive magnet and just suck that thing out of the earth. You with me on this? Pull it so hard that you're schlepping it out. Don't clear away the, the earth. Who knows if that's ever going to work? You go in, you grab it, boom, pull it out. Sort of, kind of. That's what we call spirituality by intention. I'm going to focus my intention 
right? When we mindfully intent on connecting with the soul, I'm not worrying about clearing away the body, I'm just focusing on the soul, and that's how I'm getting connected. So again, one method is to methodically, step by step, clear away all the rubble to access the treasure, that's hit bodedut. The other one is to just go in and get it. Forget the earth, just go in and grab it. Both are valid approach, approaches. Both will get you, if done right, to that soul destination, to that inner flame within. There's just two different ways of getting there. So for the remainder of this class, we're halfway through, in case you're wondering. We're halfway through, 45 minutes in, for the remainder of the time that we have tonight. We are going to describe in great detail the path of Hitbodidut and Hitboninut. The pathway of spirituality by subtraction, clearing away the rubble, and the pathway of spirituality by intention, honing in on the soul. I'm going to stop here, take a breath, grab some seltzer, and let's open it up. Any questions, points of clarification? Nothing that's going to pull off, pull us, if it's off topic, I, I ask Bakasha Nafshis, a personal request, please, nothing off topic, but on topic, clarification, jump in, please. Yes, Ray, jump in. Don't forget to unmute. Everyone's, everyone's muted. I wanted to make sure we had a clear background. So if you're going to speak, make sure you got your unmute button or, yeah, ready. Um, so you mentioned about uh, going to look for spirituality. Well, don't we go to the Rebbe's grave for that reason? Good. Excellent. I, you know, I was thinking about that also as I was crafting my opening crafting my opening. I feel like a lawyer, right? But at, so I was thinking like, okay, somebody could say also what you're saying is don't we also have spiritual pilgrimages as well within Judaism? Yes, but when we get there, they tell us just dig or just uh, focus on the, on the treasure. In other words, when, whenever you get there, the message is you had it inside the whole time. It's like the young, there's a story about the Rebbe that's so powerful. This fellow this young guy, he lives, I don't know if he was in, lived in New York or lived elsewhere. He was very confused, and this is like the 60s or 70s. He comes to Crown Heights, the 770, and he sees the Rebbe outside, you know, on Eastern Parkway, and he says, he runs over to the Rebbe and says, you know, I had all these questions. The only one he, that could come out is, where is God? And, and, and the Rebbe points to his heart and says, God is right there, right inside of you. And that, I, I saw a video of him telling this story. I don't know him personally, but I, he told that changed his life. Now, you and I might think, wow, it's life-changing. For this guy, that, this was his, this was what he was dealing with. And, what, and that shift of, you know, where is God? God is not out there. God is right inside of you. That changed everything. So you're asking, what does it mean to go to a rabbit? The rabbit says, inside of you. Inside of you. Um, yeah, so we may have to sometimes, listen, the, I was also thinking in the context of this class, you say, so if it's inside, so why, why am I here meditation from Sinai? I could have been logged on to another Zoom, or I could have been uh, watching uh, sitcoms on a Tuesday night, right? So why, why are we here if we don't need to go anywhere? Because sometimes you need tools to be able to discover it inside. So this is not, this is, uh, just, just to be very clear here on what I'm trying to say here, this is not finding God elsewhere, this is discovering tools to find God inside yourself. Those are two very different mechanisms, and the same thing would be true for the role of a Rebbe or any Jewish spiritual master. Anyone who says, you'll find God with me, I would run away. I would run for the hills. Anyone who says, I have the secret, I have the answers, you got it, oh boy, nope, nope, 
That, that dude is all about himself. That's not, that's not that. That's not God. That's ego talking. Mom. Um, I was expecting you to say that the way to spirituality is to connect to God through doing a mitzvah. We have, we have six classes. We're going to wait till lesson six. That's lesson six. Oh. I'm sorry. We got no. It's fine. That's we. That will be mentioned, and we'll have a time for for that for mitzvah mitzvah meditations. That's lesson six. Um, okay, so which which category does doing a mitzvah fall into? What? Let's save we'll it for lesson. Let's say we're gonna wait till lesson six. Good. Yeah. 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 Okay. Who else? I saw somebody else raise a hand. Ed, jump in. Um, so, in the first um, method you talked about, uh, it. I won't try to pronounce it. Um, but clearing things away to see if I'm on track here, the kind of two things came to mind. One is the person tries to live, say, a simple life, you know, get rid of material temptations, temptations of the flesh and so forth. And the other is if you're clearing things out psychologically, it's like kind of therapy, you know, therapy, you know, those kind of things is is that on track to what you're trying to, to communicate? It's right on point with a, maybe a slight, slight modification, but you're, you're thinking along the right ways. And in fact, it's a perfect segue to jump right in to the, the pathway of Hitbodedut, which is that spiritual clearing away or that meditative path of clearing away the distractions to arrive at the soul destination. So yeah, you're, you're right. It's, it's, if I were to rephrase it, there's two parts. One is clearing the external distractions, and the second is clearing the internal distractions. It's clearing away the physical distractions and also clearing away the internal psychological and emotional distractions that are just as powerful, if not more of, a, of an impediment to, um, to, to, to where the soul, to where we need to be for the soul. So with this in mind, and that's a perfect segue, let's go back inside the text. So what we're gonna do now is focus on Hit bodedot. If you want to see what that looks like, it's right here. Hit bodedot. And uh, before I actually, I'm going to stop sharing for a moment. Um, once again, spirituality by subtraction. I just want to set it up before we jump into the text. The first pathway, spirituality by subtraction, is stripping away the layers of material consciousness to uncover the pure and raw soul fire that is beneath that, that crust. Much of the focus of this approach is clearing the noise or quieting the noise. Listen, you know me. I'll never let a sports analogy, uh, you know, go a good sports analogy uh, opportunity go by the wayside. It's like the quarterback in the home game, and the crowd's excited, and the quarterback goes, shh, keep it down, guys. I know you're all excited. You have 65,000 people excited, can't wait for the next play, and he's like, we got this. Shh, everyone's got to listen. Everyone's got to listen. Not too much noise here. Everyone's got to listen. This is the quieting of the noise, the clearing away of the, of the um, interference, eliminating distractions. This is hitbodedut. In fact, the word hitbodedut comes from the word badad, which means secluded or seclusion. It's all about seclusion. Seclusion is... Get away from the drama. Get away from the distractions. Get, you ever have that experience where things are crazy and like, I'm out of here. 
<laughs> this is crazy. This is nuts. I am out of here. I'm going to go to a quiet place. That's exactly what Hit Bodedut is. It's getting away from the noise, getting away from all that chatter. The crust of ego is broken down as we isolate ourselves away from the material pleasures and distractions, as Ed mentioned a moment ago. This is a very pointed and highly effective method of soul discovery, as attested to by the medieval Jewish sage, Rabbi Avram, who also happened to be the son of none other than the Rambam, Rabbi Moses ben Maimon, a.k.a. Maimonides. Here we go, text number five. I'm sharing my screen because, as you know, sharing is caring. Here we go, Rabbi Avram ben Arambam says the following. Hitbodidut, seclusion, is one of the most superior of all the distinguished practices. It's not just another practice. It's one of the best. It is a practice of the greatest saints and the medium through which the prophets experience revelation. Wow, wow, wow. We're going to unpack this as we go through it, Bodhidut, but look what he says here. He's extolling the virtues of this practice. He's not saying this is just one way of accessing the soul. He's like, this is like the Rebbe Vram ben Harambam. This is like two thumbs up, right? You try this, this works. Even the prophets got prophecy through this. This is an effective spiritual path. We still haven't described how to do it. We're just saying it's effective. All right, Richard, hold on for one second. I just want to take it a, a few steps forward, and then I'm going to get, trust me, I'm going to get back to you. Um, the great Kabbalist, Rabbi Yeshaya Horowitz, known as the Shalah, because he wrote a book called Shnei Luchot Habrit, a powerful work of Kabbalah, of Jewish mystical thought. And so he's known by the acronym of the book called the Shalah. So he says the following about Hitbodedut's seclusion. Take a look-see at this one right here, text 6. It is recorded in many of the works of the medieval rabbis that seclusion, hit bodedut, separation from everything mundane, prishut, and devotional clinging, dvekut. Wow, now we got three terms. It's all the same genre. Were practiced by the pious Jews. This is to say that when they were alone, they would empty their minds of all worldly concerns and connect their minds with the master of all existence. The famed Kabbalist, the Arizal, taught that this practice is far more beneficial for the soul than study and that every person should practice this seclusion meditation according to their ability, either once a week, once a fortnight, it's every two weeks, or at the very least, once a month. This is from the Shalah HaKadosh, Rabbi Shaya Horowitz, Yishayahu Horowitz, author of the, of the Shnei Luchot HaBrit. I'm just going to explain these terms for a second, because he, he didn't just go hit Bodudur, he went Prishut and Dvekut, he's got like three terms here. It's all the same genre as I mentioned, but what is it? So seclusion means that you move away from, you, physically you move away to a quiet place. Separation means you separate your mind from the distractions, which is the step two. And number three, once you do that, then you can cleave, then you can connect with your soul. Are you with me on that process? Step one is, don't stand in the middle of Times Square and try this. Let's, let's please, let's, let's not be in Times Square. Find a quiet space, go to the forest, go to a quiet room, step one. Step two is, Quiet the mind, quiet the thoughts. Step three, cling to 
attached to the spiritual <laughs> prophet. I mean, this is the way it works. Not to oversimplify it, but, you know, just a little bit. That's the, that's the three-step, that's the three components. Seclusion, create physical space away from material distraction, separation, um, create mind space. So physical space and then mind space. And three is accessing the soul, which is the goal of this. In other words, hitbodidut is founded upon a very straightforward formula. By silencing the body, which includes the mind and material distractions, the soul can be heard. Quiet the body, you can hear the soul. I remember, true story, I remember going to, happens to be an island called St. Bart's, to make a minion, it's a complicated story. There's a guy, his name is Ron Perlman. You may have heard of him. He's the CEO of, he was, maybe is, the CEO of Revlon. Anyway, he has this thing wherever he is in the world, he has a minion on Shabbos morning, he prays with a minion. All right, when he's on St. Bart's, end of December, January, early January, so what does he do? He's one guy, he's not in, not in New York, in Manhattan, he has a shul, or there are other shuls. What does he do? He flies out, nine yeshiva students. Nine Chabad Yeshiva students to make a minion in St. Bart's. Can you imagine? What a gig. Anyway, I was part of that circle for a few years, back in the day, my single years. So, I remember, this is, we, I was living then in Brooklyn, and we flew out Thursday to St. Bart's, you know, ugh, what a drag. Anyway, we get, to say, we get there, Thursday night, we're driving around the island, and, you know, only kosher things, and uh, we're on top of a... Go on top of a hill. It's, I mean, the island's gorgeous, beautiful. And mountains and, and, and water, the ocean. And we just, you know, we just pulled over. We had like Jeeps or whatever. It pulled over and just lie down on the grass and looked up. And I'm telling you, I had never in my life seen so many stars. So bright. I mean, who even, in New York, who even looks up? Right? You just got to make sure that, you know, you're safe around and you're immediately safe. But like, who's looking up at this? If you look up anyway, what are you going to see? Neon. You're not even going to see. The stars were so bright. Atmospheric pollution, none. Zero. And thus you could see. What happens when we clear the noise? What happens when we clear the artificial noise? Is that suddenly what comes into focus? All the pure beauty. Clear away the artificial noise, the interference, and tune in to the real deal. That's what Hitbodidut is all about. Richard, jump in. Hold on, I think you're muted. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so, so uh, everything you've said is what I understand Hitbodidut to be. I've, I've heard it before, I try to practice it, and I've just heard the terminology in the last month or two. But um, I, and, 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 and in what, one of those... Uh, paragraphs, it did bring out a point which I, I thought you were missing, but I don't think you are missing. And it's not just clearing away, it's, it's, it's an intention of connection with God, asking God to help clear it away, and help him, help his, his assistance. You cannot do this yourself. Okay, good. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. That is a modern form of Hitbodidut. Um, there are many forms of Hitbodidut. So, so far, I'm giving you like the classic, basic definition but it's perfect again, perfect segue. You guys, like I, I feel like if 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 we're all moving along together, then I'm feeling very good about about this whole experience because what you're saying is perfect for the next step. Because what I'm about to do is read is read some texts from Rav Nachman, Rabbi Nachman of uh, of Breslov, 
And other, another Hasidic uh, master describing modern, um, uh, modern um, forms, modern forms of hitbo didut. There, there are slightly, di- there are different ways to practice it. I, in general, I mean, generally speaking, it's clearing the mind, sorry, clearing the physical distractions, clearing the, the internal distractions, and seeing the stars, seeing the fire inside. That's generally speaking. How do you actually do it? We're about to get there. All right. Um, I, heard, I heard it through, I heard it through the Breslov. Yeah. That's right. So, right. As soon as you said it, I'm like, I, I'm hearing a little Breslov um, uh, influence. So we're going to read that. We have two texts from Rav Nachman of Breslov. Um, so we're going to get there in a second. Yes. Okay. Uh, Moshe, did you have? Yeah. Jump in. When I'm trying to center down like this, I'll typically have some music like, oh, say, running through my mind. And what I'm wondering is, am I listening or am I speaking? Oh, excellent. Good. Perfect. We're, I'm very excited. I'm very excited because we're all on the same page. We're all in this journey in the same, I feel like we're in the same space. These are the next texts. Hold, hold that thought. It's an excellent question. Let's read it inside. All right. What I'm going to do is, you guys probably know this by now already, even the, the courses that I don't create from scratch, I kind of reconfigure. This is not, you're not going to get this class anywhere else. I don't believe any of the other 350, uh, 400, whatever places will teach this class like this. I'm going to take you down our journey. We're going to skip to a completely different space in the class. In fact, we're going to go to the appendix of the class, the extra text. But don't worry, I'm going to take you on a journey, and I'll tell you exactly where we're going. This is going to be text number 16. So we're going to fast forward all the way past the lesson, the end of the lesson. Don't worry, you're in good hands. Hold on, hold on. Text 14, text 15, text number well, there's no painless way to do this. Text 16, Appendix A. Rav Nachman of Breslau. As I mentioned, Hitbodedut at its core is what we described, but as it's practiced, there are, there are several interesting modern forms of practice, still practice to this day. People practice Hitbodedut on a fairly regular basis. It's, it's a real thing. So this meditative practice is uh, um, one major stream is the Breslov practice, which was founded by the, the Rebbe of Breslov, Rebbe Nachman of Breslov. I'm going to read this inside. It's a, it's a, it's a text that's uh, decently long. Here we go. Hitbodedut seclusion is the highest asset, greater than everything. It requires setting aside at least an hour for secluding yourself in a room or field and finding ways to enter into a dialogue with your creator. Okay, so this is what Richard was saying. It's about dialogue. And you'll see soon why, where dialogue comes in. Use words that evoke favor, placate, and conciliate in order to entreat and plead with God that he bring you closer to him to genuine divine worship. Conduct this prayer and conversation in the language you normally use, your native tongue, because it is difficult to express all that you desire to say in the holy tongue if it is not your native language. In your native tongue, you can express yourself fully. Share with God everything that's in your heart. Express your remorse and repentance for the past. Your pleas to genuinely merit drawing closer to God from this day forward. And similar conversations, each individual according to their spiritual standing. This practice is extraordinarily beneficial. It is an extremely good path and guideline for drawing closer to God because it is a universal guide that encompasses everything. You should know that many renowned tzaddikim 
related that they attain their high degree of spirituality only through this practice. A perceptive individual will readily appreciate the great benefit of this practice, which raises a person higher and higher. Furthermore, it is a practice that is accessible to all people. Anyone can make use of this practice and thereby climb to spiritual heights. Fortunate are those who seize the opportunities this practice provides. The um, Rav Nachman of Breslov. What page were you on, Rabbi What page? What page? Ah, now you're asking a good question. Let me go back to it. It was 63 and 64. 63, 64. That's what we just did. Now, here's the deal. Here's the deal. This is the Rebbe of Breslov creating a system of Hitbodedut that anyone can practice. He says, go to a room, a quiet room, go out into the field, go to a quiet space. So seclusion is at the core of it. Hitbodot is seclusion. There's no way around that. You're going to start with seclusion either way. But he says, how do you clear your mind? Now, there's different ways to clear your mind. Typically, you think clearing your mind is just emptying it. He actually goes a different way. He says, speak it out. Are you with me on this? He says, just keep on speaking and talking and talking until you kind of empty out. You empty out. You clear your mind because you're talking so much about God and about what you need and about what you want and about your connection. You're talking so much in your native tongue and you speak to God like a real, you know, like, like real conversation. And suddenly you realize that you're detached from physical stuff. You're detached from the material and you're now connected with spirituality. You're connected with your soul. So he, he prescribes a hitbodedut meditation that uses verbalization at its core. There's a lot of verbalizing. You, traditional, like original OG hitbodedut would be more of a quiet experience. But he formulated a very loud verbal, verbal experience that accomplishes kind of the same thing. Um, you can try to empty your mind or empty your words. Either way, you're emptying. Um, anybody watch Ushbizen, the movie Ushbizen? Yeah, with the Estrog. Uh, such a beautiful movie. There's the, like, the most, in my opinion, there's, like, the scene that carries the whole movie. That scene, he runs out into the field and just starts shaking and speaking to God and very loudly, and that's Hitbodedut. It's not quiet in, in Breslov. It's not quiet at all. It's loud, but no one's around. You know what they say. If a Breslov chassid does its bodedut in the field and no one's there, right? does it make a sound? Okay, that's a philosophical question. We're not going to get into that. Fine. But either, either way, the point is that this is one version of hit bodedut. I was thinking as I said that. What was I thinking? I actually thought of something interesting to share with you, but now I forgot. Mm, if I could only rewind. Let me rewind a second. We're talking about Ushbizen, running into the field, emptying the mind, emptying the words. Okay, it's not coming back to me. Maybe at some point it will. Let's, go, let's move on to another form of Hitbodedut, another modern form. And this is articulated by another great Hasidic rabbi. His name is Rabbi Kalonimus Kalman of, and I'm not going to do this name, this city justice, of Piasesno which is a Polish city. This was a rabbi, you could see his bio here. He was a rabbi near Warsaw, and he became one of the rabbis, or maybe the rabbi of the Warsaw Ghetto, and he used to give fiery sermons. He was killed by the Nazis in Machshemam in 1943. 
So here's what he writes um, about Hitbodidut. He says, the Talmud states, very different than, than the Bresla version, which is very loud. This is not a very loud version. The Talmud states that a dream is a 60th of prophecy. The explanation of this is that our self-awareness prevents us from experiencing the divine. As long as we are awake and conscious of ourselves, the spiritual presence of the divine cannot rest on us. Conversely, when we are asleep, our awareness and consciousness are quieted. Our sense of self is no longer present, and the divine spirit can rest on us. For that reason, our dreams contain a fraction of prophecy, because while we sleep, our sense of self is not present to disturb the divinity. If I'm going to put this in my own words, when we're sleeping, we're quieting the noise, and we can perceive more divinity. Our goal, however, the real kicker, right? The real kunz, the real trick, is to attain this sleep consciousness while awake. How do you... How do you quiet the consciousness and connect to the divine while you're awake? This is achieved through silencing our thoughts and desires that control us incessantly. Here's a practical direction to achieve this. Firstly, we simply pay attention to our flow of thoughts for a set time. We will eventually notice that our mind is emptying and our thoughts are slowing from their habitual hurried flow. Look what he says, pay attention to the flow of thoughts. If you just pay attention, that itself slows it down. We should then repeat a single verse or phrase, such as, um, in the original, it is, sorry, sorry about this. Hashem Elohim, wait, Hashem Elohim Emes, or Emet. God is truly God. In order to insert a thought of holiness in our now open mind. So you, you've slowed down, you've slowed down time and space. You've slowed down your thoughts. You've slowed down, you're aware, you're focused. And now you're inserting a meditation, a mantra, a Jewish mantra. Hashem Elohim Emet. Hashem Elohim. God is truly God. Right? After these steps, we can articulate a need for help in any of the many areas of character development with, with which we require assistance to improve, be it our faith or our love or awe for God. And he gives different suggestions. Here's the suggestion for work on strengthening faith. I believe with complete faith that, the, that God is the only existence in the universe, that there is no reality other than God. All the world and all that exists is but a ray of his light. That's a mantra if you want to develop in this meditative state, if you want to develop uh, faith. This should be repeated several times, but not forcefully. The whole point is to quiet the self. Speaking with for forcefulness is likely to arouse the ego. Rather, we utter, utter, utter the phrase with extreme gentleness. Or if you wish to arouse love for God, <coughs> say, I wish so much to be close to his blessed essence. My deepest desire is to feel that I am forever growing near to the mighty creator. Again, so these are different phrases that he suggests that can be repeated um, as a quiet mantra to kind of elicit that response. Be that as it may, we have here two modern forms, two modern shapes of hitbodidut. At, at the core, it's pretty much the same. I mean, the concept is the same. Seclude yourself. Don't do this in the middle of a busy, busy space, right? Go to a quiet place and just try to empty and divest. Get rid of the noise, either by talking out the noise or by quieting the mind and gently, you know, filling the mind with, with, with a phrase that we repeat again and again. Dif maybe different strokes for different folks, different pathways, but all around the same concept. And it all goes back to what we said before. There's a treasure in your house. Okay, in you. Forget your house. There's a treasure in you. It's called your soul. Spiritual treasure. But we're not always aware of it. You're not, I'm not always aware of it. So what do we do? Dig away the dirt. Clear the noise. And we'll get there. 
This is all one pathway called Hitvodidot. You should know. We had it before. Avram, the son of the Rambam, said. Maimonides, the son, said that this is the way of the prophets. The prophets prophesied by this way. They, they separated themselves and they had prophetic visions. Hitvodidot essentially is like the, the pathway toward prophecy. It doesn't mean that you'll automatically get prophecy if you do this. But that's how the prophets operated through Hitvodidot. They had separated themselves out. They divested themselves of corporeality and they, uh, they, they, they saw mystical, mystical visions. I'm going to share with you a text that attests to this idea. We're going to go back now, all the way back to um, text number seven, if I can find it. Let's see. Text number seven, very powerful, from Rabbi ha- Rav Hai Goin. Look what he writes. You might be aware that in the view of many of our great sages, there's a technique for individuals of extremely advanced character to experience the mystical visions of the divine chariot. I'm going to skip the brackets. And to gaze into the spiritual chambers of angels and the like. You ever want to, you ever want to check out the angels? Hey, what are they up to? Here's how to do it. These people would fast for a designated amount of days, then place their head between their knees and whisper copious songs of praise to God with their faces toward the earth. This opened them to mystical visions and allowed them to experience roaming the heavens and exploring its supernal chambers with clarity. This was a form of hitbodidut. Yeah, it's not as practical as the other ones, but this is an ancient, this is describing how the, the great mystics of old and the prophets of old would have these experience of angelic visions and heavenly visions. Kind of through hitbodidut. So clearly it's an effective method. But... It's not the only game in town. We have two paths that we're going to develop tonight, and that, this is all path number one, which means that we have another path to develop, which is what I'm about to do. The challenge of Hitbodidut, as you might have noticed, maybe you're thinking about this as we went along, is that, first of all, there's a lot of focus on clearing the mind and clearing the distractions, and what if we never get there? What if we don't really clear? What if we're a little too distracted? How can you really clear and, re- you know, it's not, it's not a guarantee. So there's a bit of a challenge with it. And it's also focusing on kind of the negative of getting away the negative. But there's a little bit of focus on the earth as opposed to the treasure. It's a little bit focused on getting rid of the body than, you know, speaking the language of the soul. Which takes us to the second pathway, which is called hit boninut. Not spirituality by subtraction but spirituality by intention or intentional focus. We're not going to try to get rid of the distractions. We're not going to try to clear the mind. We're not going to try to quiet the noise. Forget the noise. Forget the noise. Let's just power our way to that treasure. Let's just hone in on the treasure with such ferociousness, ferocity, whatever, with such intensity that we don't even notice that there's any earth in between. Instead of shoveling and shoveling and shoveling, clearing away all the, all the dirt, let's just go straight for the treasure. That's hit boninut. It's not about divesting ourselves from material awareness and consciousness. It's about cultivating a direct awareness of the soul. It's not clearing the rubble. It's going straight for the treasure. Hit boninut which is the second category of meditation for tonight, is cognitive spiritual meditation. Not clearing the mind, focusing the mind. It's understanding and attaching ourselves to a spiritual idea so well and so thoroughly 
that it becomes really real. In other words, hitbodidut, what we covered up until now, is a meditation to detach from material consciousness. Hitboninut, which we're about to describe, is a meditation that helps us develop the awareness of the soul consciousness. All right, so let's jump into this. This is the preferred method of Chabad, of, of the Chabad system. So Breslov prefers Hitbodidut, what we talked about before, clearing, going out to the forest and shouting and screaming and, just, and that sort of thing. And clearing through verbal, right through. The Chabad approach favors, it's, not like, it's, still, it's still a holy approach, the other one, but Chabad favors the second approach, Hitbodinut which is not focusing on the noise, but focusing on the soul, focusing on spirituality itself. In fact, this is the central aim of Chabad Hasidic philosophy, as we'll see in text number nine. Here we go. Text number nine from the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rabbi Yosef Yitzhak A central foundation of the study of mysticism is to repeatedly spend considerable time in deep contemplation on the subject matter being studied. This is the practice that is referred to as hitboninut, which means to firmly visualize the concept and to analyze it deeply. We're not talking about clearing the distractions, clearing the noise. Nope. Focusing on, intentionally focusing on a subject matter, spiritual, spirituality, focusing on what you want to integrate into your, conscious, into your consciousness. Let's take a look at a biblical um, allusion to this. The verse in Deuteronomy says, You shall take it to heart. What does that mean? So Rabbeinu Bechayah says the following. This is a positive commandment to know God. We are enjoined to investigate. Enjoined can mean two, different, two opposite things. Enjoined here means we're obligated or we're encouraged to investigate and develop an appreciation of God's unity and not rely solely on received tradition. However, since the spiritual understanding of the divine is abstract and not easily understood, the verse emphasizes that we must take it to heart. Let's skip the brackets. Indicating that we must repeatedly contemplate the concept until it settles in our mind. The term take to heart always refers to a matter that requires profound concentration and extra focused thinking. The work here is not on shoveling. The work here is on connecting. The work here is on focus, intellectual focus. I'm going to hone in on this concept. I'm going to study and focus and turn it over, roll it over in my mind, allow it to percolate and roll over. And I'm going to stoke it this way and stoke it that way and think about it from all angles and develop it and expand it and connect with it and visualize it to the point that it becomes so real that I can taste the treasure. Spirituality is so real that I can feel it, I can touch it because I honed in on it with such connection and such depth. Let's continue with the next text, text 11a. Hitboninut is an internal dialogue with an idea. I love that phrase. Once we have studied something well in all its fine details, explanations and commentaries until we have developed a thorough understanding of it, the practice of Hitboninut meditation is to then mentally analyze the idea to verify whether our understanding is true and accurate in all of its details. Through diligent meditation, we develop a strong visualization of the soul of the concept, which is the animating core of the idea itself. Step one, understand what you're talking about. Step two, rotate it. 
visualize it in your mind. It's kind of like, you know nowadays websites have this cool feature sometimes, like with products, 3D. You can like, like, oh wow, I can walk around the car. That's so cool. I can like, the car spins and I could see it and I could look inside, I could look outside. That's what we're doing with a concept in our mind. We're rolling it over from all sides. It's not like, oh yeah, one plus one is two. I got it. No, 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 it's then, that's the beginning of it. Then you die, and I'm not suggesting that one plus one equals two is the pathway to spiritual nirvana. I'm just saying that, uh, right, that's, step one is understanding the concept. Step two is focusing on it, rolling it around in your mind, turning it from all angles, opening it up this way and that way, and looking at it from every possible perspective. That is what Hitbonanut is all about. It's so powerful. It's so powerful. And this contemplation, <coughs> meditation, Hitbonanut, leads to emotion. It develops a feeling of something to something. Take a look at text number 12. Take a look at this one. Through honest contemplation with deep focus, a person's soul develops an authentic closeness and attachment with God, commensurate to the spiritual standing, to their spiritual standing. Through this, one fulfills the mitzvah to love God. How do you love God? You know how? Simple. You first say Shema, and then you say V'yahavta. And I apologize for all the Hebrew here, but let me explain. The first line of the Shema, Shema Yisrael, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Speak about monotheism, divine oneness. And then we say, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. First is the meditation, Shema, and then V'yahavta, then the love. It's the meditation that leads to the emotion. When you really meditate, and we cover our eyes when we say Shema, kind of like right? blocking out the, the <laughs> we guess we do both, block out the distractions, and then we focus in on the idea. Maybe it's a hybrid over there. We focus on the idea. Shema means not only listen, but hear, but understand, perceive, meditate on it. Then we can love God. So what we're going to do now for the next few minutes that we have together is we're going to practice this. We're going to take a concept, a mystical concept brought down in the Hasidic tradition, Chabad tradition, and we're going to practice studying it, analyzing it, discussing it, turning it over, and maybe you'll walk away feeling something. Maybe. Or maybe you'll need a little bit more time. The good news is you got a week till the next class, so you got plenty of time. But let's start the process. So again, just to, just to explain where we're, where we're at in this class. We started the class by talking about a treasure. We said sometimes we look, but it's really right here. The same thing is true with spirituality. It's nowhere else. You got it inside. But how do you access it? You got, a, you got this body standing guard in the way. Once, one path is clear away the distractions. Get to the soul. The other way is wherever you're at right now, just hone in straight focus, radar, sonar, whatever. Focus in on that soul. Get in there. Forget the noise. Get in there to the soul. Focus on it by studying and contemplating and meditating it. So let's talk about that. Let's do that right now. Let's actually do it. Because there's one thing talking about it. We could talk about Mozart from today to tomorrow, but it's nice to listen to Mozart. It's great to talk about what Hasidic meditation looks like, but let's, uh, let's actually do it. Everything, here we go. This is a text penned in 1898 by the fifth Chabad Rebbe, the Rebbe Rashab, Rebbe Shalom Daber Schneerson of Lubavitch. And he's writing about the idea of tshuva, the idea of connecting, reconnecting with God. 
And he says the following. Everything that exists is comprised of a physical form and a spiritual divine energy that creates and animates the entity's physical existence. This is, this is clearly demonstrable in animals and humans. They have an animating spirit. If the spirit were to leave their body, the body would no longer be classified as alive, and the body would begin to decompose and turn to dust. That is because the very existence of the body hinges upon the spiritual energy that animates it. The same is true of vegetation. It also possesses an animating spirit. Even inanimate objects possess some sort of energizing spirit that keeps them in, in existence and prevents their disappearance. Based on this awareness, spirituality is referred to as good and life because it is a living force that remains alive and in existence forever, whereas physical matter is referred to as negative and death because it decomposes and ceases to exist without the spirituality within it. And it has no means of existing independently. From my flesh I can perceive God, Job says, meaning that human experience informs our understanding of God. We intuitively sense that we have a life force that provides us with our life and that it is our primary identity and that were our soul to leave our body, the body would be left like an inanimate rock and eventually decompose and disappear. The same is true with all that exists. The entire cosmos and all its contents exist due to a divine spirit that gives existence to everything. That divine light and force is the entire life and sustaining power of all that exists. If it departs, all existence will revert to absolute nothingness. If we meditate on this idea, we will realize that the material existence of each entity is entirely dependent on the spiritual force within it, and that physicality is nullified before the presence of the divine light that is its source of existence. This realization will inspire a powerful desire, love, and yearning for the divine. We will no longer desire that which exists only superficially, and which is in fact death, decomposing and disappearing. All we will desire is to attach to the divinity that is true life and the mainstay of existence. And now let's meditate on this. Not by closing the eyes, not by clearing the mind, but by simply analyzing what we just read. And I know I read it fairly quick, but I do also know that you have this in your books and you can read this again and again as necessary. So here's, here are my comments. There are three major ideas here. Idea number one is that everything has body and soul. Everything. We have body and soul. Literally, body and soul. The body and the soul. Animals, vegetation, even rocks. Everything has a body and a soul. Even experiences have body and soul. Go out to dinner with a friend. Yeah, there's a body and a soul. The body is eating. The soul... Is the connection, the relationship. Yeah, there's a body. You, you make a, a deal in business and you have a handshake. There's a body and a soul. What's the, what's the body of the handshake? The physical grip and the shake. What's the soul? Trust and commitment. Are you with me on what I'm saying here? There's body and soul in everything. There's what you did and what it means. Everything in life has that. His point here is... That a, a body without a soul is garnished. It's nothing. What's a body without a soul? There's a name for that. It's called a corpse. And you know what a corpse does? It ultimately decomposes. It's not alive. The body itself is not alive. Even as it's alive, it's not really alive. It's the soul that's giving it life. And the, the greatest proof is once the soul departs from the body, the body reverts back to its essential state. It returns to the dust from whence it came. 
So the body doesn't have its own independent existence. And thus, even when you have body and soul, the main thing is, of course, the soul, not the body. If you make a deal with somebody and you, you, shake, their, you shake their hand, and then they break the deal, what did the handshake mean if it didn't have trust and commitment? It meant nothing. It was just, it was just two hands gripping each other and moving in an up-and-down fashion. That means nothing. Yeah, if you go out to dinner with somebody and it's just about the food, well, then you missed out on an experience of connection. A body without a soul is really not the main point. And that should inspire us to always seek the soul of the experience. Just like we know for ourselves that my body without my soul is, uh-oh, that's not, a good, that's not a good reality. The universe has a soul. There's, spirit, there's a soul of the universe, the divine spirit that animates everything. And without that divine spirit, the universe itself is like a dead body. It's not alive. This is a concept that allows us to intellectually connect directly to this idea of what a soul is and why a soul is important and why only a soul is called life. Nothing else is alive. Only a divine life force is really called life. Everything else is not really alive. And this should inspire us to seek out the soul, to love the soul in every experience. To essentially, to love life. Not to love death, but to love life. Take a look. Take a look at this text. It's a powerful text from Deuteronomy. Moses says to the people, This day I call upon heaven and earth as witnesses that I have warned you. I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. You shall choose life so that you and your offspring will live. You shall choose life. What kind of choice is that? You shall choose life. Who's going to not choose life? You shall choose life. You know what that means? It means you should choose to see what's really life, what's really alive in any experience, in any interaction, in any, at any moment. What's really alive here? What's, what's the real truth? What's the facade? What's the exterior? What's the body? And what's the soul? In every experience, the Torah says, choose life. Don't choose death. That's not an option. Don't choose death. Choose life. That's where the truth is. That's where reality is. That's where the beauty is. That's where the magic is. Choose life. This is a concept that when we think about it in our minds, this concept can gel. I'm going to use words that don't necessarily connect with my right. It gels. It settles. It congeals. I don't know if congeals is a good term. <coughs> it, um, it comes together. And it could set in our mind. We said, you know what? This is really true. A bo physical body without a soul is not alive. The universe without God is not alive. Right? Um, an experience of eating without deeper meaning is not alive. Right? Just going through the motions of life without a deeper purpose, it's not really alive. That's life. That's existence, not life. I choose life. I choose something deeper. And this takes us full, full circle back to the beginning. I choose to live my life treasure first. I choose to live my life to engage my days, not just with bodily distractions, because those ultimately are death. That's gone. That's here today, gone tomorrow. That's not everlasting. That's not eternal. That's not real. What's real is the soul that I have inside, my divine connection, my purpose. And this brings us back to the beginning of the class. The beginning, we told the story of this man named Isaac who was looking for a treasure and who found it inside. And we asked the question, we have a treasure, but how do we access it? Because we got all this distraction in the way. 
And we said one path is clear away the distraction. You know what the other path is? Recognize the beauty of the treasure. Recognize the beauty of the soul. Recognize how that's everything. And the distraction is garnished. It's nothing. After 120 years, what's with all the sushi we ate? Nothing. And the impact we made on the world? Everything. That's the meditation. And that can help us every day. We're not going to be perfect. Don't, don't set a perfect standard for yourself. But that can help us as we go through our days to make better choices, healthier choices, more spiritually aligned choices, to focus a little less on the body, a little bit more on the soul, to focus less on the earth, more on the treasure inside. Not because we've cleared away the earth, but because we truly and genuinely value the treasure inside. My friends, this is Hitponunut. Hitponunut means, this is one example. And it's like, it's a meta example because it comes full circle to our class. And I hope you, you're, the whole arc has come together. This is an example of Hitponunut, which is cognitive, meditative awareness. Hitpodidut, clearing the mind. Giving space. Hitponunut, honing in on what you want. Two paths, both equally valid. The latter is the preferred Chabad method. The former is certainly a method that is practiced to this very day. Either way is powerful. You can do both. You can have it all. You can do Hitpodidut. You can do Hitponunut. You can, you, can, uh, you, can, you can take it all. But here's, what, here's how I want to wrap this up to, to, to try to crystallize it. Jewish meditation teaches us how to access spirituality. Last week we learned how meditation can help us feel better. And that was valuable. It's certainly valuable to feel better. But tonight we learned how Jewish meditation can help us live more heightened spiritual lives, more potent existences. And that is through, number one, Hitbodidut, clearing away the rubble to allow the treasure to shine. And number two, to meditate on the beauty of that treasure to the point that that's all you can see. My friends, hopefully you have clarity on the paths. Now, the, now all that's missing is the practice. But the good news is we got a week, at least. <laughs> we got time. We got time to practice this. I didn't mean it so ominously. Um, we, have, we have time to practice this and, uh, and integrate it into our lives and our spiritual routines. So, homework. Homework. Choose your favorite path. Seclusion, focused intent, whichever one you like, or both. You can have it all. Why not? Review the texts. You can reach out to me if you'd like for some, some practical pointers. Take some time. Clear some time. Don't clear some time. You know, <laughs> focus your time and, and, and practice one or both of these paths and see how it makes you feel. We're going to conclude the class once again with a meditation from Rabbi Label Wolf. So stay with me if you'd like to see that. Um, but first, a few quick announcements. My first reaction to this evening is one that I'm often filled with, but tonight I'm, I'm feeling it especially, which is gratitude. A gratitude to all of you for being here with me. A gratitude for being on this journey together with me. It's a very, I mean, these are very real topics, very real concepts. 
And, um, and it's, very, uh, it's very special that you're here with me. I feel very special to be able to do this journey with you. That's number one. Number two, a very special thank you to our core sponsors. Couldn't have done it without you, and of course without all of you for participating, but certainly our core sponsors and all of our supporters are absolutely um, just uh, integral to this, uh, to this experience. So thank you very much. And the third thing I'll mention is a little bit of a teaser about next week. Next week's class is called Mastermind. Is God a static or dynamic force in our universe? Is God an aloof creator or a detailed micromanager? Next week, we're going to develop an astonishingly powerful meditation that will not only shift the way we perceive reality, but also help us build our own resilience and find purpose in the so often chaos of life. That's next week. Trust me, you do not want to miss this. All right, a few quick announcements um, about upcoming opportunities. Number one, a virtual Israel tour, Hidden Secrets of Israel, places you cannot visit even if you were there in person, behind the scenes with a master tour guide and a recent author of an exceptional novel, The 36. Join me. It's a free event open to the community. We've had some sponsorships to allow us to do it for free. Certainly, we're looking for additional funds to help us make it happen. But join us. Let, 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 uh, the, let, let no fees get in the way for this one. Thursday, February 17th, 2022 in the evening. He's going to be like 4 a.m. or whatever it is from Israel, but we'll have a decent time, like 8 p.m. So join us then for that. Brand new announcement. This has not hit the airwaves, not hit the website. Listen to this. Anybody familiar with the story of Aaron Feuerstein, the mensch of Malden Mills? Who remembers that? The mensch of Malden Mills. Remember that guy? Factory owner um, in, uh, in Boston, etc. His factory burnt down. He paid all his workers. Okay, no one knows what happened next. I can't say no one, but very few know what happened next. We have, I just secured today, his granddaughter, her name is Marika Feuerstein. His granddaughter is going to tell us what happened next. It will shock you. And now, if you don't know the story, just Google Aaron Feuerstein, mention Malda Mills, and watch the 60 Minutes broadcast. Don't read further because don't take away the, uh, the, the plot line here. What happens next is absolutely shocking. She's going to tell the story, and the, the event is called After the Fire. After the fire, don't miss this. February 21st on Zoom, Monday, February 21st. Um, okay, that's all the announcements for tonight. Yeah, let's do some very quick questions because we got to get to the meditation, and, 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 and I'm sure people are, are waiting for that. Let's, Ray, jump in. You're, you are muted. Ray, we still cannot hear you. Right. Isn't one of the statements that we can say is Ain owed Milaldo? Yeah, yeah, Rebbe Wolf said that. Yeah. Yeah, that is a good that is a good one also. Yeah. Okay. Let's um let's show let's show them the meditation straight away and then let's um we'll take questions one, afterwards. One question. Oh, okay. Yeah, let's do let's do the meditation and that way people can 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 jump out if they need to. Okay, here we go. I'm just gonna share my screen. Let's optimize it for video and sit back, relax, and enjoy as Rebbe Wolf shares our lesson meditation.
two voices speaking to us from within. One voice is our lower order self, Nefesh Bahamis. The Nefesh Bahamis urges us to live a life of pleasure, of ease. Getting what we want whenever we want it. The other voice is the voice of the Nefesh Elokis. That's our godly self. That's the self that seeks connectedness with people in love. Connectedness with the world and its elements, feeling fulfilled. Connectedness with Hashem. Gently close your eyes and just become aware of your inner self, your inner quiet, that place you can escape to because it's always a place where you have your own sense of self. Allow that special place to be your refuge. That place of inner sanctity, totally protected, always safe. As you step out of that space, become aware of your two inner voices. Listen to the voice of the Nefesh Bahamis. Note what it tells you. It says, you're insecure in this world. You need to shore yourself up. You need more and more and more. Otherwise you're unsafe. Build walls around you. Wealth. Create superficial pleasures because life is short. That Nefesh Bahamis is the voice of the ego. Now listen to the truer voice of the Nefesh Elokis. The voice that tells you that everything possesses truth and meaning. That your happiness and joy comes from connecting truly to people, to the world around you by connecting to the inner selves, the soulful center, the voice that tells you pleasure doesn't come from material acquisition. It comes from the smile of appreciation for having helped someone, for the small gift 
that you give your grandchild for the blue sky that you wake up to. In life, choose which voice you are going to listen to. It may be that you don't need to have a battle within, a fight between them. You might even be able to transform the Nefesh Bahamis into an ally, giving its energy the capacity to do the right things. But always allow yourself to recognize that your true voice is the voice of the Nefesh Elokis. In so doing, your life will be replete with happiness and fulfillment. That was, uh, once again, wonderful from Abba Wolf. Um, hope everybody enjoyed that and hope you all enjoyed the lesson. And um, we will have an opportunity to continue our conversation, please God, next week. Um, all right, once again, grateful that everybody joined tonight and uh, looking forward to seeing everybody next week. All right, we'll see you guys. Have a wonderful evening, Laila Tov. All right, take Agoten Chaydesh, right? Marve B'Simcha should be with, uh, with, uh, with Gesund and, and only Simcha. Take care, everybody. Thank you very much. Laila Tov. Very much. Beautiful. Pleasure, Beautiful. pleasure. Thank you for Thank being you. here.